This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I believe with every fiber of my being that the course I have set out is the right one for our country and all our people. What has been achieved today is not Brexit. I don't believe this government has negotiated fairly or effectively. Brexit is a lose-lose situation. We have always followed the EU mandate. It is utterly unacceptable to anybody who believes in democracy. Hello and welcome to Brexit The Final Countdown. We have 148 days until we're meant to leave the European Union. We have 47 days until we get a new Prime Minister. We have seven hours until the Trump family leave the UK, which means we have two hours until Melania's next outfit change, which I'm most excited about. Um, <laughs> so we've got loads to count down. Um, this week's podcast. Did you know a podcast is someone who is a fan of a podcast? I like that. Isn't it cute? This, so this week's podcast is Paul Baldwin, head of news for Express.co.uk. Hello. And we have our Brussels correspondent, Joe Barnes, on the phone. Hello. Hello. We've got lots to discuss. Bit of a week for news. <laughs> I'd like to open, Bailey, with um, um, a mention of uh, the D-Day um, commemorations, which are, it, it's, it's uh, interesting and quite moving to think that 75 years ago today, one of the biggest armadas ever assembled uh, was about to set off um, and head for northern France, and there were largely British and American ships and British and American and Canadian men, and um, liberate Europe. That was 75 years ago today that... Um, those those boys liberated Europe from the yoke of Nazism, um, and it's, it, it, it now seems seventy five years later um, that the, Britain is uh, at best tolerated by our European neighbours, and um, at worst possibly despised. And it's it's incredible to to think how we've got uh, not seventy five years is a long time, but uh, how we've got from that position. Uh, to this one, and the other thing that struck me was that it could, the, you know, the contrast between the utter selfless heroism uh, of those men, kind of, you know, running onto machine gun bullets, German machine gun fire, and the kind of self-serving democracy-killing antics we've seen um, from our elected representatives over the last three years. Uh, it couldn't be more marked, or for me, more fury-inducing. You know, the, the it's the two sides of the human condition for yeah. me, you know. Who do you think is responsible for the sort of decline of decline in European relations? It's probably our fault, isn't it? You know, yeah. for these, it's we've hard. had a few referendums and it's difficult. To, it's difficult to say. I mean, Joe is a bit closer to, to the uh, to the action on that one. I don't <laughs> know. What do you think, Joe? So, of course, I think it's the fact that Britain is an island nation. We've never quite been accepted as a true European as part of the European Twenty Eight as part of the original kind of band of European countries that got together. Um, I'd say one thing, that even when Winston Churchill gave his speech on the United States of Europe, that was always a United States of Europe being on the continent and not just with including Britain. He wanted Britain to be on the fringe and still be a, a great seafaring nation. So I think it's, it's a real historical thing that Britain has never been truly connected to Europe, so that's probably where some of the animosity comes from. But they're, they're largely now probably more frustrated with 
with um, our antics because they, they want us to leave their little club and we're not quite made attention to do it. It's, it's interesting. I was in Spain a couple of weeks ago and um, I asked a f- uh, friend of mine, my sister-in-law, in fact, um, <laughs> what the Spaniards thought of Britain. And uh, she gave me the kind of well-known international hand gesture uh, involving the middle finger, and I think that, that spoke volumes for me. You know? I'm sure. I'm sure the listeners can um, <laughs> figure out what just do you mean. It comes down though to when when Britons are spending money in their countries, they seem to like us. So Madrid yeah, this weekend, yeah. hundred thousand yeah. football fans spending lots of money. I'm not sure how much the people of Madrid loved the um, <laughs> Liverpool supporters this weekend. There were some pretty dubious videos flowing about. I was concerned we'd see you in some of them, Joe, but relieved we didn't. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was on best behaviour. Firstly, I would say we are connected to the great continent of Europe because Love Island is based in Spain. And I was going to kick off, I was going to liken the Tory leadership election to the Love Island contestant as the hottest contest of the summer. But then you got quite serious about D-Day. So well, yeah, my script yeah. is, is now uh, somewhat redundant. Um, no, and I've made it a lot more lightweight. And so, yes. So maybe we will redeem ourselves um, by electing an incredible kind of captain of democracy, captainess of democracy uh, on the, when is it? At the end, in the end of July. At the well, end of July. it probably is going to run into July. Yes. And there's, there's many hiccups still to happen. The, um, who are the runners and riders? The runners and riders. Who are this Let's year's bevs? We, we did have 13 <laughs> candidates. Uh, I was thinking of chucking my hat into the ring as well. It seemed everyone, the, the, <laughs> uh, everyone who fancied the chances. Uh, there is now 11 candidates. And let's let's uh, just, just 11 candidates. Let's just go go down. And we've got Boris. Um, it was interesting. I was looking at the 1922 committee rules last night. And um, they've changed the rules to try and whittle down the... the, um, the, the the number of runners and riders, basically, mm. but unsuccessfully. But it, it reminded me of the rules that um, dog owners uh, are sent if they enter their um, dog into crufts when they're looking for a supreme champion. <laughs> and it was uh, anyway. So we got Boris. Well, they've Johnson. all got new haircuts, haven't they? they so haven't I suppose that kind of, yeah, I think they're more similarities. Also got, um, Boris obviously would be the shagging, the shaggy dog. Um, <laughs> Obviously, and he is. Uh, let's have a look at. Let's have a look who they are and the odds. Boris, according to Labrooks, is four to five on. Uh, Michael Gove is five to one. We've got Jeremy Hunt and Andrea Ledsom uh, tied at eight to one. Dominic Raab sixteen to one, and then we get into the kind of also rounds really. Uh, Rory Stewart twenty five to one. Are you developing a bit of a man crush on Rory Stewart? I feel like everyone's sort of slowly falling in love with him. Uh, not me, I'm afraid. I really? think uh, he said um, he's he's the international development secretary. Just in case anyone needed to know, and uh, he said there may be times when Jiminy Cricket would make a better leader than Pinocchio. And I just thought, oh, what? we don't need to have this lunatic anywhere near the reins of power. <laughs> Everyone knows that that's not true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Geppetto would have been the real G- leader. Geppetto, yeah, he's a pony to bet on. Sajid Javid is at 33 to 1. Then we run to the real outsiders. Esther McVeigh, uh, 100 to 1. Matt Hancock, 50 to 1. And then Mark Harper, to he. Uh, who, is Mark, who is Mark Harper? <laughs> I don't have him on my list. <laughs> well, I have to say, he was... Um, He's, he's not thick because he was smart enough to say, quotes, I am the underdog. And at 269 to 1, oh my God, he'll win I it. think we can agree that he is indeed the underdog. We love an underdog. underdog. Uh, and Sam Gimiart is at 500 to 1. Uh, largely he's the only one backing a second he referendum. He wants a second referendum, which rules him out of anything ever, for my money. He, he uh, could maybe join change. You get oh no, he can't join change. Well, maybe he could. Like there are a few openings there. Yes. Um, okay, so that's a really quite a long list, isn't it's, it? It's a huge list, and and the the problem is that 
even with the new rules, which are supposed to tighten up the procedure, this is going to run into July, which gives whoever is then um, at the at the helm of the Tory party and indeed the country about 16 weeks to extricate Britain from the EU, which is something we haven't been able to even remotely do in three years. No. So how that's going to pan out is anyone's guess. So the odds are saying Boris, but so that's like what your heart is saying. But is he the right? Is he the man for the job? I think it's it's um, it's difficult because again we're in this position where what's uh, the, the politics of the country versus the politics of the party because um, Boris Boris is it's a real real game changer. If Boris doesn't win, um, then that opens up um, it will it will be a, a sort of new dawn for British politics because the Brexit party will make huge strides. They will probably by this time on Friday have their first MP in the Peterborough by-election. Peter election, yeah. And uh, all depending on how this, who the Tories vote for, he will either be uh, an interesting quirk of British politics or he will be at the forefront, the vanguard of a whole new party and the end of the what has basically been the two-party system for the last best part of 50 years. Good grief. So, and it, 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 to, for my money, it is, um, and I'm absolutely not backing any of these, by the way, but I think if you if Boris is the only person who is a Farage beater, a Farage killer, no, maybe beater, Farage beater, because um, the others will, th- there was a Times did a poll last week and it, um, among Tory rank and file, and the, and the Tory rank and file said, if Boris uh, is leader, I will vote Tory. I will not vote um, uh, the Brexit party. Yeah. He, he's the only person who can do that. The rest of them will split the vote and give uh, Farage's party uh, a whole a, a new platform. Whereas if, if it's Boris, then um, it will almost certainly kill off. He is uh, the man to beat yeah, Farage. Like really what is, does a yeah. Boris Brexit look like, though? So he's obviously refusing to take a no deal off the table, like all of them, pretty much, um, apart from Rory Stewart. Um, but we can't, he's not, I don't know if you cut Boris, I don't even know if he really bleeds Brexit, does he? He just kind of bleeds Boris. So do, do we have, like, how much faith do you think the Tory rank and file have in, have in him to, to deliver that kind of hard red line let's, Brexit let's that we all fall in love with? Uh, let's not, re- you know, on, under underwrite his. Um, Massive celebrity status. He's on the telly a lot. You know, mm. uh, that's a lot of part of his appeal. But um, and he and he has flip flopped on Brexit. Um, but he did walk out of uh, Theresa May's cabinet because he thought she was making a. Um, Do you think that's when he developed his, his sense of principle? I, I think he. I think he's nothing if not pragmatic, Boris, and he realizes um. that um, the the people, and particularly the uh, Tory voting people voted for Brexit. And if that's a hard Brexit, that's a hard Brexit. And I've said quite a few times, I think it's going to be difficult to avoid uh, a no-deal situation. I just, I can't, because whatever, whoever wins, and and the 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 background noise doesn't change. Mm. I don't know, what, what's, what's the feeling in Brussels? Well, this, yeah, this is it, because Joe, you've kind of suggested that it's getting a little harder over there. Yeah, so no, the attitude in kind of Europe is actually starting to harden now. They they've kind of they're watching countless Tory leadership hopefuls claiming they're gonna to come to Brussels in heroic fashion on the on horseback, say, and renegotiate Theresa May's deal. But that's just simply not gonna happen. The EU will will not budge. That is their their one red line and they even wrote it into the European Council conclusions into the last um the last extension to October thirty first. 
But that 585-page withdrawal agreement, which contains the 39 billion divorce bill, the uh, backstop, the transition period, it just can't be altered. So now we're starting to see Emmanuel Macron's hardline attitude kind of filtering out across Europe and say to pinch a phrase from Theresa May, they're maybe now starting to think that no deal is better than Britain sticking around and stinking the place out. Oh, God. Well, well it is going to be interesting when <laughs> um, the parliamentary sessions start and uh, and Mr Farage and his Brexit party MEPs are in there because it's going to be chaos, isn't it, Joe? I think Farage is going to use his opportunity to start grandstanding, but it's not aimed at a European audience. That'd be aimed properly at Britain. But I was, I was speaking to a, a Brexit party MEP-elect the other day, and they were saying that essentially the withdrawal agreement is dead, so the only way that we can leave the EU now, because of the politicians in Westminster, is via no deal. Whether that's the favourable option, whether it's the best thing for the country, that's the only way to deliver Brexit because you won't have Remainers back a withdrawal agreement and you won't have the hard Brexiteers back to Theresa May's agreement, and that is the only deal on the table. Yeah, I, I, I've feared this for some time, that the only solution now, because of the way our political system is set up and the way our politicians are acting, is that we will just be, we'll be timed out, basically, by the EU. No appetite in Brussels, Joe, for us to have a little bit longer than October. Is that what you're hearing? Um, well, you, you say that the very much on kind of the outer facing, they're, they're hardening. So yesterday they held a meeting, quite a rare meeting in the, the EU's Brexit break at the moment on no deal preparation amongst each member state's Brexit negotiator. And they're basically looking at the likes of Dominic Raab and Boris Johnson, who are saying it's deal or no deal on the 31st. They're ramping up preparation for that again. But what I don't see yet is a genuine concrete plan for no deal. Are they going to be willing to throw Ireland under the bus and erect a hard border just for the sake of protecting the single market and the customs union in the event of no deal? I completely so agree. If, if, a, if a leader in October came, to, well, it'd be the new Prime Minister's first opportunity to come to Brussels and meet their European leaders at, at a 28 level, and that's 13 days before Halloween horror show of no deal, apparently. Yeah. That we... That, if they ask for an extension and give a good reasoning why, there's no way I think the EU will say no. They will just try and they will try and add more conditions. The other thing, the other thing as well, Joe, is that without uh, uh, behind the the kind of political grandstanding and political uh, posturing and opportunism of, of the eleven people we've just mentioned, um, who find it very easy to say, "Oh, no deal." If it's no deal, then it's no deal. Blah blah blah. Um, I was talking to. Um, my guy in Whitehall, and he's been adamant um, that all the preparation, all the preparation that was for um, May's withdrawal agreement uh, with lip service paid to a no-deal agreement. And I, so I just texted him just before we came in, and he normally answers his text very quickly indeed. And I said, you know, can you give us an idea of what the uh, no-deal preps are um, behind the scenes? And it was a tumbleweed on my phone. So mm. whether we just ignoring my text, I don't know. But I really, I fear, uh, I really fear that, that our, we, we could have extricated ourselves with a no deal if we'd planned for it. 
I yeah. fear we have not planned for it. Well, there's someone else who's a very big fan of No Deal, isn't there? A certain Mr. Donald Trump, who we've been hosting for the last couple of days. Um, and he, you know, he he's all about No Deal Brexit. He thinks we should be suing the EU I and think, refusing to pay them. I mean, he's super the apprentice about the whole I thing. I think it's been a good week for Donald Trump. He's been r- remarkably well behaved. He has been very well behaved. As long as you're he's, not Meghan Markle. He's, 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 he's not one of life's great orators, and he never will be. But I think he's <laughs> probably made more friends than enemies. Oh, apart from Sadiq. Um, or Sadiq. And uh, I think it's been a terrible week for Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, who's, Not great oh, optics about, yesterday, What about Michael Gove as well? Uh, well, Mike, who? Because who? We, don't, we don't know who Michael he is, Gove, do we? In, in, <laughs> so, exactly. And, yeah. But do you remember before Michael Gove rejoined the cabinet, he held an interview with Donald Trump he did. for a certain yeah. competitive newspaper of ours. And they posed for a photo together, but he obviously didn't. Uh, there's a picture of him with the president, so clearly they have met. Um, but that was not. <laughs> His favourite journalist <laughs> is Piers Morgan. We all know that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Trump has been talking it up. As you have said, he's been sort of name checking Jeremy Hunt, Boris Johnson, and Michael Hu. Um, he had a phone call with Boris, didn't he? He hung up with Nigel Farage last night. So he's kind of, you know, he's. he's... I, I think this is a bit of a red herring. I, Which Donald, bit? Donald Trump thinks, or, or maybe, maybe he doesn't, but he, he's sort of being positioned as a sort of transatlantic kingmaker. I, I, I think it's interesting what it's all Well, that was my question. Really. Is it, it does, does a Boris Johnson, sorry, does a Donald Trump endorsement at all help you with the 124,000 members of the Tory party who will be I, the kingmakers not, not one, um, in a few not weeks' one time? No, it's just, it's, it's interesting kind of, you Oh, know, sexy colour, um, whatever but, they call them. <laughs> yes, it is. But, <laughs> but the bottom line is uh, no one really cares what... Um, Trump's opinion on Brexit no, is, they don't, is really. much more grassroots and much more um, British than that. So, yeah, you know, um, Joe, how's how's his trip and and all of his kind of statements been received in in Europe and in Brussels, especially? Have, have they been paying much attention to what he's up to? Um, they obviously take everything he says with a pinch of salt. One of the things we hear from people who go, "Oh, Donald Trump can offer this fantastic trade deal to Britain, including all services, uh, the NHS, and anything he wants." But the EU knows that trade deals take time. They've never been able to strike a full trade deal with America. Canada took seven years. So they're, they're seeing this as kind of an illusion, like kind of sexy newspaper colour, when in, in realistic terms they go, fine, you can leave without a deal um, and try and go for America, but that, then it blocks routes to signing a deal with the EU, which is Britain's largest trading partner because they see you having to accept uh, US agriculture into the economy. It kind of does make you wonder. I know that the, famously the, the EU deal with Canada took seven years, but you do kind of think, uh, you know, as, as journalists who work on very, very fast turnover deadlines, what the hell were you doing for seven years? No, sure. If I could long out talking to Justin Trudeau, though, I would. I mean, I would, yeah, I would have as many meetings as I possibly could. Um, this is, yeah, just my opinion. Um, maybe they'll fall in love with him. Uh, okay. Um, this stuff about Juncker moaning about his lack of jet and um, stately home, I thought was quite oh, funny, I think that was Joe. A, that was wasn't your story, I think, wasn't it? Was that your story, Mr. Barnes? It, was, it wasn't mine. It was it was an interview done by the German newspaper Bild. I wish I wish it was mine. Fantastic, fantastic interview he gave. And he basically, he lives five days a week in Brussels. I thought you were going to say in seven. one of your duplexes. <laughs> no, well, by all accounts, it is, it is, a, it is a, an apartment hotel that he lives in um, by a 50 square metre. And But the great story he told was when he went out to hold trade negotiations with Donald Trump, 
he was constant. Juncker was constantly looking at his watch, and 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 Donald Trump went, "Don't worry, your plane will wait for you." And, was, and Juncker's like, "No, it won't. I'm flying commercial today." Was he not checking when the pubs open? You mean the pharmacy, <laughs> yeah, the pharmacist for his sciatica medicine? And <laughs> um, that course, was just that was a lovely little a little t- a tasty morsel from Mr. Juncker there, wasn't it? I thought right. that was, um, and I I don't have a stately home either. We're go- we're going to miss uh, Jean Claude Juncker when he's gone because he's actually to all of his faults, he's actually quite the charismatic and fun politician where if we get someone with Michel Barnier who is obsessed with the backstop it's going to make for lots of boring press conferences <laughs> there's quite a few um MPs that we're going to miss I'm I'm sure I don't suppose I need to tell either of you about the decline of change UK we're uh, heartbroken I think I speak for the Absolutely nation when I say Chuck Amana, Sarah Wollaston, Luciana Berger, Angela Smith, Gavin Shukov all gone and Heidi Allen it kind of makes you wonder again about the backbone of these people doesn't I mean, it I mean what are they where oh, are... it was half an hour ago they set it up and yeah. oh it's not really working, really working. can we all walk away um, not this... even bother it's just Ridiculous. Yeah, that was that's a bit of a shame, isn't it? If that was kind of the the last path of resistance to a hard Brexit. And, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it, it, but it do, seriously, it does make you wonder about the resolve of these people to sort of say we're going to set up a party, and then at the first hurdle, even before the first hurdle, yeah. the first hurdle was barely in sight. I think the first hurdle was the and Twitter they, they, handle, they just, and they messed that up. They yeah, just collapse in a heap of like you know self-loathing and pity yeah i think i i think that's a real shame because that could have been the beginning of quite quite an interesting movement and if they've kind of been a bit more well, we, with the lib dems when and... it comes to new parties we've already got um one haven't we that's a, well a he did it Mr. Farage, yeah exactly so yeah, i don't know yeah. i don't quite know what their excuse is and they're sort of very seasoned politicians um maybe because none of their mps appeared on our podcast which as we know is the star maker yeah, clearly um yeah maybe that's what it was just a, yeah just a grave shame joe i'm, I'm sure you feel the same well, I, I, the only thing I will say is the Brexit Party, again, for all of its faults, if it has any, it has a clear message. It is the Brexit Party, where Change UK had no message. It, well, it was called Change UK, but it was actually, let's not change anything. It was UK. status quo UK, let's really, go along wasn't it? with the status quo. Yeah. It doesn't quite work. No, absolutely. No, I, I, I agree. Uh, the thing about Brexit is, you, uh, we've said um, uh, the Brexit Party, is you, it does what it says on the tin. You know exactly what you're getting. Um, well, we could. Well, Change UK could have done what it said in the tin. It just changed its name and its logo too many but it times. Was, it was that. It was that wishy-washy, slightly untrustworthy. What are you really thinking? Politics, which is we've said, which many we completely times, reject. Which we, we, Let's we, go back to those list of we, Tory leadership contestants. We absolutely do. Yeah. Uh, clearly, as a nation, we're, we're a bit too smart to be wrong-footed by absolutely. you know um, political this. chicanery anymore. And it's just like we. I think we respect somebody who. Um, says exactly what they think, and and you may disagree with it, and you're fully welcome to disagree with it, but you know where they stand, so you can take a view and you can vote accordingly. It's the politicians, and they are legion, who you just don't know what they think anymore, and and you you feel like you're being played. Yeah. is the worst thing, you know. Yeah, I think I think that quite captures the mood of the nation a bit, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> Okay, so this time next week we'll obviously reconvene. Um, you'll be pleased to hear. We'll have almost what will have certainly. Happened? Well, there will be almost certainly the uh, other say either completely groundbreaking and earth-shattering yeah. uh, first uh, Brexit party MP. Yep. When do we get the results? Uh, on Friday. Yep, we get the results on Friday. He's uh, one to eight on. What the secret is, millionaire? Yeah, the secret millionaire, Excellent. Mike Green, and the Labour. It's Peterborough's kind of Labour Party stronghold traditionally. And their, their Labour Party candidate, who is Lisa Forbes, is 13 to 2. So it's not absolutely... No, it's not a dead cert. No, it's not a dead cert by any stretch. that would be interesting. But it will, you know, it'll be interesting to see. But I'd I say he, he will 
Mike Green will either be the first of many, many Brexit Party MPs, mm-hmm. and that will be a massive game changer for the political landscape of Britain. The Tories won't exist. Will it, will, it, will, it will massively them. carve into the... Um, yeah. It will also open open the doors for uh, a Labour Party victory in the next election as well. Good God. Or, yeah. But if, if my money is, if Boris gets a leadership, uh, that he, Mike Green will become um, basically Martin Bell. Martin Bell became an interesting, quirky MP some years ago when he took over from, uh, he took over Tatton from Neil Hamilton. Who you may recall? Yeah, and his, I don't know. I don't know this Mister Bell his, at all. Yeah, um, Martin Bell was a BBC reporter, a well-known oh. BBC reporter, right? and uh, he he was famous for wearing a white suit and being very, very independent, very, very upstanding man, right? Uh, which he was, and um, a white suit. Yeah, oh, that was his trademark thing because he was neither blue nor red, or nor yellow. You see. <laughs> Right. That was oh, I get thing. it, I get yeah, it, exactly. I get it. And there was a little bit of I'm an angel as well, I think, thrown into I'm there. I'm an angel. <laughs> but anyway, like, yeah. uh, you know, a, an interesting political quirk and a, and a one-off. And that could be Mike Green, uh, absolutely depending on how the, you know, which leader the Tories pick. Uh, or he will be absolutely at the vanguard of a, of a nothing short of a political revolution. And the country is turned to that lovely Brexit party turquoise. Indeed, yeah. Yeah. A lovely shade. Yeah. Um, Joe, final thoughts from you. Anything we should be watching in the across Europe besides Love Island? I think the, the serious thing is um, the EU top jobs debate is going to rumble on. We're um, gearing up for the June European Council in two weeks. And that is has that as a Brexit theme to it, because that is Emmanuel Macron's review clause of the last extension. How does this affect us? How do, what are the... that, that will be Theresa May's last outing in Brussels as well as Prime Minister. <laughs> That'll be hilarious. How how does this affect us Brexit-wise? Are there there more sympathetic options or less sympathetic options? I I, I think it is only going to carry on hardening until the next Prime Minister is elected on the 22nd of July. And they will... It'll be almost a rhetoric war across the continent until they actually get in a room and say, we can't do no deal, let's extend again. Well, I, I, um, I had a bit of a row with the EU yesterday, actually. Because uh, we, right, I forgot to mention this because we, we were on a story. Because yeah, one of right. no, because one of the commissioners suggested that there may be some leeway for reopening negotiations, and so we ran that story. Ah, you're over. Uh, yeah, indeed. And the the EU were on the blow, and the EU never. Right, the press is pitiful, but uh, they were on the blower uh, pretty much straight away, saying, "No, this will never happen." So I'm with you, Joe, on the very very hard line coming out of the EU. We ain't renegotiating <laughs> anything. Who, 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 was, who was on the phone to you? Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> normally, they're, uh, normally they're around me instead. <laughs> just, put them to Joe. just put them through to Paul in the future. Absolutely. He's got a lovely telephone yeah. manner. I, uh, I do indeed. Thank you both very much. That was lovely to okay. convene. Um, always a pleasure. Tremendous. It's always a pleasure, yeah. isn't it? Um, Joe, thank you for your time. No worries, thank you. And Paul, thank you for your time. Always and we'll see pleasure. everyone next week. Indeed. Ta-ra! Okay, bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Brexit The Final Countdown. If you like what you heard, make sure you click subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, you could always leave us a review.